This side. No. This side. Where am I? This side. I'm in a park on a bench. There's a couple of squirrels a couple benches away. There's a black and white pigeon on a fence behind me. There are giant trees above me. There are people shouting somewhere. Oh, I see a woman across the way here is standing by herself and shouting. I'm in Tompkins Square Park, very early in the morning, seven o'clock, in Manhattan, New York City, the East Village, my home. And I don't know what she's yelling about, but something about marijuana, seizures, and cancer. I don't know. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> here I am in Manhattan trying to get the... Oh, I'm trying to up my tech a little bit. Um, it seemed like the uh, playback on the uh, web... Um, when I listen to my podcast <clears throat> was not as loud as I uh, thought it was compared to the others uh, so I want to up my tech a little bit and make myself louder so then when my stream comes in after somebody else's stream it flows in smoothly And the yelling woman is moving out of the park with her backpack on. There's also a film shoot here, big film shoot. All the trucks. So part of the uh, park they're shooting over beside me here to my right. Oh, there's also the dog walk is uh, quite nearby, so that's why there are dogs. <clears throat> and... I think I want to talk about some media I've been absorbing. One of which is uh, HBO Max. HBO Max is a, you know, comparing streaming services, I think HBO Max might be actually the best, and I got it for a year for like $10.99 instead of $14.99, whatever. So, um, you know, I don't know. They have lots and lots of stuff that is really pretty good. And um, I watched one series in particular that really moved me. Um, it's a, uh, you know, 16-episode, two-season thing. Uh, dramedy, you know, basically a half hour uh, each a form I like because uh, I can get weary sometime within an hour of some show. It's like, okay, let's wrap this thing up, you know? Um, 
so it um, it's a um, dramedy, and uh, it has to do with uh, a senior citizen comic, Las Vegas comic, who is, well, it's called Hacks, and I guess she's kind of a hack. And the girl, young woman, who has been hired to um, write for her, a comedy writer, and she is also a type of hack, I guess, in the name of the show. So, um, I recommend Hacks. Um, it meant a lot to me personally because it was so much about this relationship between a uh, millennial, uh, the writer, and an old pro comic who is uh, played by a Gene Smart. Gene Smart, who is a month and a half older than me, so I kind of got on to this pretty early on while I was watching it, but it, it's, it's pretty clear to me, at least by the end, that it was very much a, a show that so paralleled my own experience recently in the in the last few years with my friend Tara, who uh, was much younger, and uh, you know the the relationship in the TV show is is not a um, they're not lovers or anything like that. They're just colleagues and uh, frenemies most of the time. Um, but the way it ended really got to me, the ending of season two, um, because it ended the way I ended the relationship with Tara. Uh, not to be a spoiler, but uh, if you don't know the other thing, then it doesn't really matter. So, uh, I felt, um... I felt it very deeply in what happened at the very end of that show, and uh, I just loved it. I thought it was a great show, and made me feel something about. Well, it confirmed what I did in a way, because you know, since the senior character in this uh, show did the same thing, it confirmed that you know what I did was not extremely out of line in uh, wanting a person 30 years younger to me than me to go on and have a, a life that's out there for her and that maybe my very presence was restricting her from. And that's exactly what I why I did it, so she could have a, a new relationship that could really last her lifetime, you know? I mean, at 70 years old, somebody's kind of on the way out, you know? And, um, 
I don't want her. I didn't want her taking care of an old man. It's it's not the, quite the same situation in the uh, show, of course, but um, enough parallel that it, it uh, and it was a good show anyway. That it uh, meant a lot to me. So, hacks. HBO Max, created by a woman and a man. Paul W. Downs is the man's name who plays actually one of the characters in the show. He plays her, uh, the uh, manager, agent of both of these women. So uh, Paul W. Downs, uh, kudos. And to uh, the stars who I really liked and had great chemistry, I thought, Gene uh, Smart. As the older and uh, Hannah Enbinder, as the younger, the program is, yeah, by, uh, created by and written by Paul W. Downs and uh, Jen uh, Satsky and I think I like to watch these shows that have women directly involved in the creativity and I think it makes a big difference it's like I was reading a novel this morning before I, I get up in the morning and I have some coffee look at my Facebook for a minute and uh you know, then I'll generally read. <clears throat> so I was uh, reading this novel called A Thousand Steps by T. Jefferson Parker. It's a new book. It's a crime fiction. It's a period piece set in Laguna Beach, California in 1968, which was, you know, the time of the Brotherhood of uh, eternal love, brotherhood of eternal love, is that what they're called? Anyway, uh, and a lot of acid, and uh, Leary was there at the time, and he appears in the novel a little bit. And, but uh, <laughs> there was a scene today where I was reading where it, it has to do with a protagonist, uh, the hero of the novel, is a uh, high school guy, kid, boy still riding his bike around Laguna Beach he's trying to find his sister who's uh, missing that's what's going on the plot so um, he also hooks up with this uh, his uh, love interest and uh, they sit and make out for the first time in the uh, <clears throat> for his very first time and he It states that after after they do that, he he, uh, he has sore balls because you know they don't fuck. And I'm like, actually, I put on my Facebook, uh, guys, hey guys, you know, is this really just paternalistic or patriarchal bullshit? You know, the blue balls myth. I don't remember ever having blue balls. Um, I've been 
turned on before and not completed. I've been turned on for quite a while and not completed. It's not a state that I find to be uncomfortable at all. I like to be turned on and not completed because completed could always come sometime later in one way or another. But, you know, it's just like... So I put, as I put on my Facebook, I saw that's this is why I'm reading novels by women, uh, and why I want to watch TV shows by women to you know get out of this sort of a, you know these continual patriarchal uh, markers about what you know is real. To me, blue balls aren't real. Maybe you got them, maybe your boys got them, maybe it's just a means of saying, oh baby, I really need to fuck, I got blue, but you don't understand what a, a guy goes through if he, he gets so sore, he's got blue balls, he's sore balls, he's got, and it's, it's like it doesn't come really from the balls, it goes somewhere else, it's just stupid. I think it's stupid. Maybe it's true. I don't know. It's like so many things these days. Is it true or not? You figure it out. Can a man become a woman? You tell me. What else have I seen? I watched The Card Counter, which is also on HBO Max. I'd seen The Card Counter in a movie theater, Card Counter is uh, the most recent release of our great American independent filmmaker, Paul Schrader, who is now in his mid-70s and actually after the Card Counter shot another movie that is in the can and is being edited, whatever, and it's going to come out sometime in the future, I guess. But... Um, the Card Counter is a, a very interesting movie about our times and a, a serious drama about trauma, trauma, drama, and the um, horror of the military-industrial complex and who it hurts. Those over there were killing, imprisoning, torturing, etc. And us here who are responsible for this, who send people over there who do these things, who make them do horrible things, and this is all in our name us dear American taxpayers. I paid my taxes. I, I had to pay like $3,000 uh, more in federal taxes. Uh, actually, they just took it about a week ago. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, you know, I, I w think I want them to advance the welfare state and get off this war machine business, but, you know, I guess that's not a popular theme these days because we want to be safe. So therefore let's send, let's make sure that NATO is all over the goddamn globe even though we promise not to encroach on some people's turf.
And let's make sure everybody buys our weapons so they're powerful and secure and keeping their own people down so the capitalists can work their grubby deeds unhindered by popular uprisings and uh, other issues like that. So, hacks. Um, the card counter is really good and very sad and, and disturbing, really, on a certain level. Uh, takes a while to get there, but it gets there. And it's also a really wholesome revenge movie, as far as I'm concerned, a justified revenge movie. So I've watched three seasons of Succession. Succession is a sort of show where It would be really kind of good if, like, they all got some kind of disease and died one after another. Because they're all kind of uh, unredeemable scum. I mean, every character in the show. Um, you know, there's some sympathy in Shiv the uh, female what it is it's about if you don't see this thing it's a uh, sort of Rupert Murdoch kind of family with a uh, head played by Brian Cox uh, <clears throat> the uh, what is the hell that they call the Roy's yeah the Roy family so, they have, uh, the Roy's have uh, four, the Roy family, uh, he has four children. Connor is the older one from a previous relationship. He's kind of weird. He's, uh, he's sort of uh, trying to marry a uh, beautiful young prostitute. Uh, hook or whatever who uh, he's hooked up with and uh, he finances her plays on Broadway so forth who, that are not good apparently yeah it's kind of a kind of the um, Citizen Kane sort of thing with uh, with uh, Rosebud and the wife and all that and the, the, the uh, lover um, so he uh, he also is trying to run for president, um, which is you know absurd. But uh, and his family are completely against it and think he's ridiculous. Um, so he's kind of off on the side because he's from another mother, from a previous relationship. And then there's three kids that come from this the. Uh, the mother, same mother, 
uh, Kendall, who is the oldest of them, and uh, Shiv, who I think is next, it's female, and uh, Roland, uh, who is the youngest. Roland is sort of the most interesting character in a way in that he, well, it's just that the Col- uh, uh, Karen Culkin is just so quirky as an actor and so, you know, kind of normal and naturalistic in a way that uh, the others aren't. He seems like, in a way, he's in another show. Uh, but, you know, you can sort of relate to him in that way and that, I don't know, he's sort of like kind of more of a normal guy in some kind of a way. <clears throat> Even though he does send uh, explicit selfies to uh, a uh, older woman who works for the company. Um, what it is is family rivalry. They all, you know, the old man's failing. The company's kind of failing and uh, they're going to be taken over by somebody and uh, you know, the the ones the, the the children are all kind of banding together and then fighting each other and uh, you know it's all these power games and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, plus, some people have addiction problems and uh, and it's all in a world that um, you know if you're not a rich person, which I assume most everyone watching is not, because well that's the way our social structure is that uh, you know 1% of whatever owns everything and the rest of us are kind of looking up in longing well I don't have any longing about the locations (laughs) and the things that these people have to do for one thing they have to travel a lot uh, with the family in uh, uh, a line of uh, SUVs um, and then onto airplanes and flying all around the world and hanging out with the family. They also, uh, their work spaces are these uh, sanitary offices with uh, big glass doors and uh, it's just all ugly and cold and a world that, uh, you know, flying around in helicopters, you know, two helicopters to carry them all. It's just, uh, you know, they're horrible. And, um, I don't know, it's a big popular show. I guess that's sort of why I'm watching it. Uh, well, there were three seasons I've finished with. Season three, uh, I guess I'll watch more of it. Another show, I also have Showtime. Showtime, it's Showtime. No, I have another um, channel called uh, Showtime. And uh, I'm streaming. And Showtime has a series, uh, two seasons of a series called I'm Dying Up Here. Now this is also about uh, stand-up comics. It is uh, a a period thing, though, in L.A. in the 60s 
where a woman called Goldie, played by Melissa Leo, runs, is the owner and runner and uh, dictator of a uh, comedy club in L.A. And it, it's about the um, the players in the in the you know the people who the regulars in the club who are all you know attempting to be uh, successful stand-up comics. Basically, get on Carson, and then get on the couch after they do their comedy shtick, their stand-up. The, the, uh, the, the goal of the time is to have Johnny like you enough to invite you over to the couch to talk. So, you know, it's a normal addiction and sexual triangles and uh, some aging issues with an older comic around. Uh, there was a... Uh, what was the name of the... Uh, Polly Shore's mother and father had a comedy place in L.A. Polly Shore's mother continued to run it after they split, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what the story is, but you can look it up. Um, so, yeah, Polly Shore's mother, who died, you know, within the past couple of years, I believe, was a woman who ran a comedy club in New York, I don't know which one, but I've forgotten the comic, the comedy strip, the, the not the improv. Um, anyway, so it, it, it sort of parallels that. I wonder if they're using um, Polly Shore's mother or the writer did as a, it actually came from a novel called I'm Dying Up Here. So I don't know what the story is with that or I haven't really looked into it, whether the guy was a comic and wrote a novel or whatever. Uh, I like the show. Um, kind of interesting characters. Actually, it was really weird because this morning, I, right before I woke up, I had a dream about one of the characters in the show. I was comforting one of the characters in the show. There is this one of the characters who's come from the Midwest with his buddy, has landed a... a weird job on a sitcom you know which he has little zero respect for and is making an enormous amount of money through and uh, causing himself a certain amount of issues in that he uh, it's too much too soon he doesn't know how to handle it gets, too, gets on too much cocaine things like that but in the dream, you know, he's kind of having trouble with, because uh, the production is getting ready to fire him because he's kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, and he's, you know, it's kind of a black show. And he is Benny the mailman. And he comes in and he's, it's Benny time. And it's, you know, it's become the big sensation of the show. And he's a big star because he is this Benny character who he doesn't relate to any, just sorry. Well, I'm not Benny, I'm, I'm me, you know, and I'm, I don't remember what his real name is at the moment. So, in this dream, uh, we're in sort of a, 
Well, it's kind of a stage setting. He's sitting uh, beside the stage, and and I go over and hug him and hold him and comfort him and tell him it's all going to be all right. Television is television evil too powerful that it can invade our brains like this mass media in general moving images YouTube videos pushing QAnon or whatever else wacky this or that that comes along I'm afraid of the media and its power and its concentrated power. Currently, like with a lot of these shows, they are giving a lot of uh, leverage to the artist in in some of these streaming platforms like uh, the artists, the producers, who, you know, have a kind of liberal tinge to them, I guess. Um, Another show I've been watching series is The Boys, which is a a superhero show in which uh, the um, superheroes are like a fascist, a fascist force of uh, run by this uh, big corporation. Is it just bread and circuses and, and uh, nothing, no, no uh, threat to power or whatever we consume? Or will there be a point where the power is so concentrated in the uh, media and so in control of uh, right-wing or fascist money people that they uh, completely switch the tone of what we've been seeing and uh, cause a cultural turnaround in a matter of a few years. I think it can be done. It probably is done in other societies. I don't know what China is like, North Korea, you know, places that are really under control, Saudi Arabia. Our dear friends in Saudi Arabia are disgusting. Piece of shit country if there ever was one. It's a beautiful day in New York. I'm looking at a squirrel who's enjoying a nut in the middle of the sidewalk. He's uh, looking at me, wondering if I have more. I do not. He has a beautiful blonde tail. I think it is a he. A beautiful blonde tail and uh, a brown body. There's another one just like that right nearby. I like squirrels. Actually, squirrels are about my favorite sort of wild animal. Squirrels are everywhere. There were squirrels in uh, San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. 
There are squirrels all over New York. Squirrels live anywhere. And they don't bother people all that much. You can keep them out of the house, I guess, whatever. There are issues with squirrels, I suppose, but, you know, mainly they're just cool, you know? All this jumping around the tree and they look neat with their tails and, uh, you know, there's a lady over here, a woman, who's been sitting all the time I've been here feeding nuts to the squirrels. There's a big backpack on, she has a little seat and she's sitting there feeding the squirrels. Probably comes out every day and feeds the squirrels and they're her friends. So yeah, the squirrels are great. The park is great. New York is great. I'm glad to be back. Life is good. Things where I'm living now are stable at the moment. Uh, out in Ohio and in California, things are still kind of crazy with my family matters. Uh, and now the two sides of a controversy are not really talking to each other. And one side is saying, if the other side doesn't give you the money, I'll give you the money. But if they're not talking to each other, she'll only know whether I tell her whether they gave me the money or not. So I could be really kind of underhanded here and collect on both ends. It's a tempting idea. I mean, it could mean several thousand more dollars, which in my condition in life might mean Life and death. I also have to make a will. Um, I want to leave stuff to a very old friend of mine who could use the money. And uh, I do not have a will right now. And seeing what I just went through with my brother who did not have a will and the controversy that it later produced, I would like to have a will. So that it would be smooth and all my money would go to this one. Of course, if I'm on the way out, I'll just transfer and not bother with that. If I'm on the way out and know it, I'll transfer and get rid of my money and just give it away. So now that I've decided what I'm going to do, oh, I, did, I, did I say I had an urn? I have an urn in Ohio because my we didn't use it from my brother. We just uh, put his ashes in uh, Monument Park in Canton, Ohio, uh, under the view of President McKinley. There's an enormous monument to President McKinley in Canton, Ohio, because he was from there. So that's where the ashes went. And I can have a hole in Ohio and an urn. And if I manage to get the disintegrated, it could go into the urn. And I could be in a hole by my mommy, which is certainly not important to me, or to have a plaque with my name on it for all the people who don't remember me anyway because I don't have any like 
relatives of, uh, you know, from the family. I'm not going to have any uh, children and, uh, you know, I don't have any nep nephews or nieces and it all basically, it all stops here. I'm the end of the line. With our friends that survive a few years beyond me, want to go look at a rock in Ohio? I don't think so. I, I it, it, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Not to me. Do you care what happens to you when you die? I can't seem to uh, muster the. Uh, ability to care. Do I have anything else to say today? I don't think so. Legal marijuana is working for me. I'm kind of backing away from it because oh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't hang over the next day like uh, I've experienced with other things in the past, like if I get high the night before, it kind of hangs and I want to do it again. I'm not feeling that these days, but maybe I'm just changing. Maybe everything that's gone on lately has been so impactful on me that I'm just changing. Face the strain. Where am I? Now it's the next day and I'm in the mysterious Lower East Side. There's a lot of high rises in the Lower East Side. <clears throat> you know, beyond Grand Street East. Uh, I don't really know what they are. But there are a lot of high-rises, and I'm walking among them in the, in the somewhat mysterious Lower East Side, you know, below Grand and all that. Television, I was talking about television yesterday, and uh, put on the noise reduction. Um, Television, well, streaming media, well, mass media. You know, when I talk about these things, in the back of my mind, I know I'm talking about something that, well, I'm not exactly sure it's uh, entirely wholesome. And I have reasons to say that because, um, these mass mediums, media, um, each medium is very powerful. Print was one thing. And then you get into the telegraph with uh, transferring information across vast distances. in a, a great deal of rapidity <clears throat> so that uh, so that the people in Texas 
can know what happened in New York kind of right away and uh, even if they don't need to know it like now it's like oh someone got killed over somewhere where is it I'm not really sure but I think this has something to do with me yeah okay Oh, mass media, I don't know. The 20th century. Yeah, yeah, we got the, uh, you got the radio, and then, uh, then you got the moving picture, and the silent movie, and uh, that's pretty powerful. Those images, anybody ever read Neil Postman? Neil Postman, I don't know, he died 15, 20 years ago, whatever. It was a, uh, NYU professor, thinker, you know, one of these guys. <clears throat> Media studies, really. And uh, I'm by the highway, I should turn around. Um, the uh, highway that is elevated along the river. Um, Neil Postman's work, I read a book several years ago called The Disappearance of Childhood. <clears throat> by Neil Postman. It affected me a great deal because uh, in that, it wasn't even about motion pictures. It was about image itself as opposed to, you know, speech, other forms of communication. He argues in the uh, book that image has a certain power that uh, these other things don't have uh, in that once you, once you see it and get it, it's there. It's not, uh, you can't really argue with the image. You can't, you can't unsee it uh, once it's implanted in your brain. Once, uh, once you've seen it, it is there and uh, you have to deal with it some way. This could be a happy cat picture. This could be a uh, Abu Ghraib atrocity. It could be, you know, anything. Um, And it's very influential. It it appears true even if it's a composite, uh, a Photoshop, whatever. And moving image is uh, an extension of that, and even worse. And the thing is, you know, all these, uh, like I'm talking about these streaming media, look who owns this stuff. Well, I guess I was speaking of that earlier, well, yesterday, when I recorded the previous part. Um, these things are owned by... Uh, major corporations and with stockholders of rich people who want their stock to go up and it's all about money and eyeballs and uh, sensation and keeping us interested. I I, um, resisted the continuing soap opera series format 
for uh, some time. <clears throat> it's like I I have to watch like how many seasons of Breaking how many hours of Breaking Bad to uh, follow the whole story. I mean. What is it, a hundred hours? Is it thirty hours? It can't be. It can't be that valuable to me. But yet then I did get into this serious thing and I, you know, it's basically just a waste of time because I'm bored. And it's like, okay, it's sort of good. It's always about some kind of conflict. You can't have a, a drama without conflict, right? You don't want to see people just going about their lives, having, uh, you know, whatever, pleasant, unpleasant lives. And film has an inherent bias toward action, movement. It's been that way since the very beginning. The, uh, so it's going, it's going to, you know, play uh, movement, action, plays better than people standing around talking. <clears throat> Fight scenes, battles, things uh, blowing up. Now, these are all very interesting, plus they're things that uh, stress us. I mean, fires and danger and murder. These things uh, bring us in because we're concerned about them. And we get more concerned about them when we watch these continuing dramas. Like, I've always com complained about New York City cop shows. You know, I don't know, from Kojak or whatever it was, the uh, Origin Naked City series. I don't know. I don't barely watched any of this kind of stuff. And then it's Dick Wolf land, you know, in the most recent uh, landscape of television, <clears throat> where Dick Wolf has about 30 series, series, series. And they're all cop shows, and the cops are heroes, and, uh, and there's all perps, and, uh, you know, it gives a fucking distorted image of what New York City is all about. It's like that guy I talked to in Ohio in the uh, pot store who said, oh, New York is, is too much gun, too much gunplay. And I said, man, it's just the fucking news. New York is safe as it's been for the past 20 years or so. You know, it's just, and then they just bring more cops, and then they arm the cops more, and the military grows and grows, and then they spend some of it on the cops, and it's just, a, it, it, it's a, the media is being a cancer. And look what, look what the, look at Trump. You got this failed rich boy. His daddy owned real estate, so he owns real estate. He inherited a bunch of money, whatever he fucked out his uh, brothers or whatever he did. 
He didn't pay any of his contractors. Everyone in New York who cares to know knows he wasn't a good player here, even though he managed to do a lot of shit, I guess. <clears throat> but yet, he plays the media, and he played the media all his life back into the 70s or wherever he first appeared in the New York Post. He's out of this party. He's out at Studio 54. You know, he's doing all this shit. And then, and then he gets this series. They produce this series, The Apprentice, where he plays a big businessman. Sitting at a desk, it's all showbiz, it's all bullshit. And people sit and watch it for 15 years and they are convinced that they are watching a great and powerful leader and really a man who could take America out of the difficulties it is facing in these troubled times. That worked out really well. You know, he was a mixed bag. I mean, he did... He, he, that's partly how he got elected, by saying, okay, we're, we're not going to do all these... Uh, we're going to pull back on these military adventures here and there. But at the same time, he's expanding the military budget. They all just expand the military budget. Biden did it too. The Congress, the Democrats... It's just more, let's give more money to the military contractors. Let's make sure that NATO is in all the Eastern European countries, even though we pledged not to do it to Gorbachev or whatever back in the day. It doesn't matter now because Putin and Russia are the big Satan and we're going to keep edging in there and causing cornering them, cornering Putin, challenging his power until, well, something like Ukraine happens. It's like, uh, it, and then, anyway, whatever. So yeah, Trump ended up being something and being something else, and then there's, now there's the uh, the hearings where he really did try to stay in power this way, and he was one to call out the military to redo the election and all this kind of shit. Is uh, you know the stuff that the uh, um, January sixth committee is coming up with, and it's he is a. TV character. Biden's not a TV character. He's a... Uh, Biden's a hack. <laughs> Biden's a hack career politician. And a very old man. And it's sad that this is... This is what we've come to. And, and uh, you know, he's never going to get reelected. The corporations, 
It's funny, the, 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 uh, the corporates can, uh, can raise the prices on everything, call it inflation, blame it on Biden, and get a Republican in. Easy peasy. No problem. We want lower gas prices. That's all we want. We want to drive our goddamn cars that you made us buy. Yeah, well... So that's mass media. So, don't watch those things I recommended. Start your own podcast. Make friends if you can still do that. I'm uh, talking on a Tula microphone. I have the noise reduction on. It is a little windy. I think it's dealing with the wind sound, actually, because with the noise reduction software running in the microphone, which is uh, good. I know there's a lot of uh, exterior noise, but this is not about a studio quality presentation. This is about shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without Come on, I'm talking to you. Come on. Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on, talking to you. Come on. So... There's lots of podcasts you can listen to for studio quality. But man, I'm just expressing myself. And I pledge to you the truth. That's all. This just the truth. This side. This side of nowhere.